This is the Starting Good Podcast. I'm Alex Gramling. They think that what they've done in the military is totally routine and, you know, really nothing to brag about. Um, and it's, you know, no big thing, as some of them like to say. Um, but they think this application process is just this monumentally scary thing. That's college admissions expert Anna Ivey. She's a co-founder of Service to School, a nonprofit that helps military veterans navigate the college admissions process. Ivy says unlike traditional applicants that go right from high school into college, many veterans have never gotten college counseling or guidance on how to complete a college application. Ivy and other service to school volunteers offer admissions expertise and mentoring while encouraging servicemen and women to aim for elite schools that vets often think are out of their reach. I spoke with Anna recently from her offices in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and asked her to explain why some veterans struggle with college admissions. Um, part of it is just that there's a there, there's a bit of a um, divide is too strong a word. That's a loaded word. But you know, when you as a civilian admissions officer are evaluating a military applicant, um, it's a really different world. It has its own language. It has its own customs. Um, the whole work experience that they've had, um, it's, it, it needs translating, basically. Um, and um, the veterans themselves, has, often the military has been their whole world up until now, you know, as, as adults. And so um, being able to translate that experience for civilians and helping them understand what that transition is going to look like, um, it's just a lot gets lost in translation. So that's a big piece of it, um, and that's a, an area where um, we try to work with both sides to help them understand here's how to close that translation gap. Um, another one is just in terms of um, experience. You know, if you're a civilian applying to a regular college, um, as opposed to, say, a military academy, uh, you've jumped through certain hoops and you've kind of learned how the system works. You know, there are these standardized tests and there are these forms and there are these essays and there are these interviews, and um, it's it's become somewhat familiar um, after a while. Whereas if you have gone into the military right after college and you've enlisted um, and you've worked your way up in the military and now you're applying to college, that world is probably not as familiar to you. Um, and so we're trying to get people up to speed in a very efficient way um, to help them understand what are those hoops you need to jump through, how do you do that most effectively. Um, and and that's where schools and sometimes are also very helpful and can be very accommodating. Um, for a good number of them, the ideal track is to start off at a community college and do a year or two there and then transfer into a four-year college and graduate with, with a bachelor's degree. Um, that's a tried-and-true track that works for a lot of veterans. So we also have our ear to the ground when it comes to community college community college, and then making that transfer to the four-year. There's some top schools who've actually um, streamlined that. Stanford, for example, has a wonderful program where they have a set of pre-approved community colleges where they will expedite um, your transfer application into the four-year um, program at Stanford, and we have a number of veterans who've taken advantage of that. Um, so the the world is really their their oyster, um, but sometimes they don't they don't know what's out there. And with a lot of the veterans we worked with, um, I think where we've in some ways moved the needle the most is is encouraging them to aim really high 
with uh, with a caliber of schools that, frankly, I wouldn't really have been on their radar screens otherwise. Now, parents of uh, uh, children in the private sector know that traditional admissions counseling, you know, can be very expensive. Are you offering this service for free to veterans? And uh, are, are there any government assistance programs that cover this kind of service? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's free with an asterisk. Uh, we, we don't charge any money for the, for the counseling, um, but we do work on a pay-it-forward model, um, which is we don't go around enforcing, but it's, a, it's more of a, an expectation um, that if they use our services and benefit from our services once they've gotten settled into whatever school they're at, that they uh, be willing to pay it forward and mentor um, an, another veteran who is now going through the process. And um, that's been a really nice model for us. Of course, as anyone who runs an all-volunteer organization knows, um, you know, some people are really happy to, to, to put in the time um, and others just fall off the, the screen a bit. Um, and that's just inherent, I think, to a volunteer organization. There's the uh, you just have different incentives, basically, um, than you do on the for profit side when you're actually paying people. So um, as to whether there are other organizations doing this for free, not that I know of, not that do this specifically for veterans, there are a whole number of organizations out there that help underprivileged people applying to college, um, whether that's economic or it's their inner city kids or whatever the case may be. Um, but nobody was focusing specifically on veterans on a nonprofit basis that I know of. Um, so that that is the, the niche we're filling. Now, you alluded to some of the challenges that, that veterans face in going through the application process. Mm-hmm. One of them occurs to me that the military service and their discharges don't always neatly align with the traditional academic calendar. Uh, yeah, that's true. It's not as if they get their separation papers, you know, to line up nicely with the application cycle or school start dates. So, yeah, sometimes those things are not in sync. Um, and that can be frustrating for people because they're already older than the kind of traditional college age. Um, but they roll with it. They've dealt with much more complicated and trickier things than that. So um, but that's just one of the, the things that can get a little bumpy is kind of managing the timelines. Um, the other thing that they're not used to often um, when they're applying to college is the the testing that's involved, um, which of course civilian kids, uh, you know, they're up to their eyeballs and SAT and ACT and subject tests and AP tests and all this, you know, testing, testing, testing. Um, and so that requires timeline too. Um, and so one of the things we've done um, is negotiate discounted um, test prep options with various test prep providers because otherwise it's a fair amount of sticker shock um, to pay that much money for test prep, which is kind of taken as the normal course of business in the civilian world. But I think for people coming out of the military and applying to college, um, that's, that's all very strange um, and not something that they have a ton of experience with. So we, we take it one step at a time. But for some of them, test prep is, is a piece, uh, a, a kind of a hurdle that they have to get over. So we try to minimize that expense for them. What are schools doing to, to help with this issue? Do any institutions offer any accommodations to veterans or, or support during the application process? 
Yeah, a lot of them do get their current veteran students involved in the process. Um, so I think that is a, a great thing that they're doing. Um, some of them waive the SAT ACT requirement um, for veterans, um, which makes the whole process uh, a lot smoother. Um, but they're basically treated as non-traditional students, so they, they modify their application process for these non-traditional applicants. Um, but not all schools do that. Some of them kind of stick to the, the normal process that they use with the, any high schooler out there, and so we adapt to it. Um, but, for example, a couple months ago I was up at um, Dartmouth, with uh, one of our other co-founders, and we sat in a room with admissions officers from multiple divisions at Dartmouth, um, and uh, and also a representative of the veteran students group um, at Dartmouth. And it was just a great conversation um, because schools don't always put those people all in the same room just to talk about veterans issues. So if we can even serve just that role, uh, we've we've made some progress, I think. Um, so we've been doing webinars uh, with with the different schools, both undergrad and grad school. For example, we did one recently with Wharton um, for their MBA program, um, and the webinars are targeted specifically to veteran applicants. If they have admissions people talking, we have test prep people talking, um, we have some of the current students at those programs talking, um, and so we're just basically building this archive of resources that people can tap into when this is a brand new world for them. Your job, of course, is to is to make them shine and stand out. Are there skills and experiences that service members have uh, and gain during their service uh, that may give them an advantage during the application process? Oh, absolutely, um, especially when compared to more sort of conventional and especially younger applicants. These are people who have already lived several lifetimes in a matter of years um, in terms of what they've seen and what they've done. And frankly, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but also in terms of what they've lost. Um, and so the maturity level is just, it's completely different than what you see with a lot of civilian applicants. And it um, makes it both a challenge um, and an, a wonderful opportunity to work with them uh, because they have already experienced so much. Um, a lot of them bring leadership experience to the table that you really can't teach in a classroom, even though, of course, schools attempt to do that. But, you know, here's someone who's actually led people in very uh, high-stakes circumstances where you have to make quick decisions with limited information uh, and, and, frankly, lives at stake. Um, your typical college applicant um, or grad school applicant hasn't hasn't done that um, and probably never will. Um, so in terms of the experience set, as I say, there's a maturity there and a set of high stakes experiences that um, I would argue are really valuable in the classroom and certainly in the working world as well. Um, and sort of we view higher education as just one step in the transition from the military out into the civilian world, which, as I say, is getting more and more attention these days. Um, how, how do we reintegrate these people into the civilian world? Um, and higher ed is, is just one component of that. Um, but we like to think long term when we're advising people, um, you know, what is what is the end goal here and how do you get from point A to point B to, to point C? Give us some practical examples, then. How are you helping 
uh, veterans take their experience and, and, in your words, translate that into a compelling application that can get them into a good school? Um, so, you know, one of the one of the challenges um, from my side, as I've worked with applicants over over the years coming out of the military, is I just uh, I myself lack the experience to know half the time what all these things are that they've done. And part of that is a language issue because military speak is just it is a foreign language and you kind of try to master it over the years, but it remains its own <laughs> its own beast. Um, but even just in terms of the things that they've accomplished, um, one of the things I've noticed is that military applicants are extremely humble um, and they do not like to talk about the things that they've accomplished um, or uh, or even awards they've won or anything of that nature. Sometimes you really have to pull it out of them and it's just temperamentally and culturally, um, I, I think they've, they find it almost obnoxious. Like, why do you want me to talk about, um, or talk about those things? And I think part of that is they've worked alongside plenty of people who've done, who've made similar sacrifices and done similar things, but to the civilian world, this really is a big, big deal. Um, so if you're someone who has, you know, um, led your fellow soldiers into a very dangerous situation and you had to decide you take this path or that path um, and, you know, you see very different outcomes um, depending, you know, even in terms of lives, depending on which which route you took. Uh, for someone in his early 20s, that's a pretty formative experience. Um, how do you put that in an application? Um and that's part of what we're helping them do is when you've had these kind of life-altering experiences um, that you've really had a chance to reflect on, how do you use this very limited uh, medium? You know, you might have um, 500 words to write on something. It's not a lot, right? Um, so we're helping them really distill these experiences they've had and that they've reflected on and have something to say about. Um, and that's a process. That's a process with any applicant, military or civilian. Um, but with the military applicants, it, as I say, there's, it's, uh, that's a big difference from the civilian applicants um, is they just don't like to talk about or show off, let alone show off about um, some of the really impressive things they've done. So Part of our job is to clarify for them that, you know, no, this, you, this is something you really have to do in the application process um, in order to be evaluated accurately um, and in order to be taken seriously as an applicant because there's so many qualified applicants out there um, and you have done these amazing things and maybe you don't have this AP score or that honors class, um, but look at all these other amazing things you've done. Um, so, so it's a process. It's a process. Um, it's, it becomes very, um, it becomes a very close working relationship and you do expect them to share things with you that, you know, it's tough, you know, in some ways we're, we're strangers to them, but that's why I love the peer to peer model. And frankly, I think they do a better job at the counseling than I do because at the end of the day, I'm still just a civilian, right? And I never have walked in their shoes. Um, and I think having an, another veteran working with them and counseling them with us in the background to kind of focus on the, the actual admissions advice, but having the veteran be the point person and the, that peer who's counseling is really central to the way we do things and to our success, I think. You said at the outset that your goal is not only to help veterans get into school, but to help them get into great schools. Yeah. Uh, what are the nuances there? How do you do that and, and work toward that mission? 
Um, it, sometimes it's a long, it's a, it's a longer term plan. As I say, sometimes it's, you know, let's focus on community college first and then work on the transfer to a top school. But sometimes they're applying to a top school right out of the gate. Uh, and we've worked with some of them and they're now at places like Columbia and, and Stanford and, um, you know, in the grad school level too. So, um, there's that modesty that I was discussing earlier, I think sometimes comes into play too, when we're, when they're thinking about which schools to apply to. Um, and sometimes we are offering up schools to them that are just in a completely different universe from the ones that they had been thinking that they would be applying to. Um, and so it's, I, I don't think I've ever had a conversation where, with a veteran applicant in over a decade of working with them where I have said to him or her, like, you're aiming too high, you know, let's be realistic and ratchet that down. I have conversations like that all the time with civilians. I have never once had it with a military applicant. Um, our role is, is, as a hand, my experience has been without exception, our role has been to get them to aim higher. Um, and so we've developed some really nice relationships with Ivy League schools and the Ivy peers, you know, really the top schools in the whole country. Um, but we're also very mindful that just like in the civilian population, you know, not everyone in the military population is going to go off to the Ivy League either, and that's okay. Um, and so we are also mindful of making sure that even if they're not going to one of these kind of super duper elite schools, they're still getting really good value for their GI Bill money, they're not being taken advantage of, and they're not going to be left holding a degree that they've worked really hard on um, and that actually gets them nothing out in the real world. So there's a big dose of um, career counseling, um, I would say, that's bundled into the application advice and mentoring that we give. In a best-case scenario, I imagine you're, you're working with a veteran who perhaps uh, went to college and, and has some experience with the application process. Uh, but, uh, and I think you talked about this. There are many veterans who go into service right out of high school because they don't want to yeah. go to college, right? And if they, yeah. if they change their mind after service uh, and try to get into a college, the entire admissions process must be so mind-boggling for them. How do you start with candidates like that who are literally at square one? We just take it step by step. I mean, it's like any other major project that threatens to be just completely overwhelming. You just break it down into smaller components and, and build from there. Um, one of the things that has been so sobering for me as a civilian is I'm, I'm really in awe of these people. I'm in, I'm in awe not just of the people who've gone to West Point and led things, and I'm in awe of even like your most basic enlisted person because, it, to me, that is still so much harder and more dangerous um, and courageous, frankly, than anything I've ever done in my life. Um, so I, I come at it of just such a from such a position of, of respect and, and awe, and they're not they're not always seeing themselves that way. Um, so I'm, you know, we, we try to close that gap a little bit. Help me understand what you do day to day. Help me understand your accomplishments, um, and then I, you know, we try to help them translate that. Um, but one of the things that's really, as I say, sobered me over the years is that they think that what they've done in the military is totally routine and you know, really nothing to brag about, um, and it's, you know, no big thing, as some of them like to say, um, but they think this application process is just this 
monumentally scary thing. Uh, and most of the people coming out of the military are men. Um, and so we're working or I'm working with these tough guys, you know, to me, they're these tough guys. And I can see that this whole higher ed thing is really intimidating in some ways. And it's so hard for me to wrap my little civilian mind around that. Um, to me, it's just completely the reverse, right? Um, for me, going to school, getting into school, no big thing. <laughs> you know, I've done it my whole life, no big thing. What they're doing is to me such a big thing. And so it's about kind of reframing our mindsets too. And so um, as I say, I, I, I've, I'm more now on the operation side because I think veterans are the better um, point people and peers to be coaching them directly. And so I'm still very active on kind of the admissions advice kind of behind the curtain. Um, I do still work directly with some veterans, but um, I, I do think veterans are the better people to do this if they've had the right uh, admissions training um, to, to work with them. Um, but but getting over, you're right, that there, there is a mental hurdle of, you know, this application process being so foreign and daunting and weird to a person coming out of the military who's never applied to get to school to get into school anywhere before um and so breaking it down into just little pieces and and showing them you know you have access now to this whole service to school network of people who were just like you and they have done this and they've done it successfully um the, the mentorship is is just as important, if not more important, than just the nuts and bolts of the application. I think. So, I mean, we can hear your passion and your your voice here. It must be greatly satisfying when you're able to help a service member reach their goal or gain admission to a school. Uh, can you tell us how many veterans your program has helped in total, and and uh, maybe what some of your favorite uh, personal success hmm. stories are? Sure. Um, so we've helped about, we've done about two cycles now of applicants. Uh, so for, I would say about a total of 200 applicants. Um, and so that's, that's a nice solid base now to, to have as um, ambassadors and to, to move it forward. Um, probably my, my favorite story, and it's not someone I worked with directly, so this is not a way to pat myself on the back. Um, our undergraduate team um, worked with a guy named Sang, and if he's out there listening, he's probably blushing right now. Um, Sang was not even remotely looking at top schools, I think, when he first came to us, and he's now an undergraduate at Columbia. And I actually met him in person. We work with people virtually. They're in all time zones. Sometimes they're off in, you know, the other part of the world with things going kaboom. Um, so, you know, we're, we're used to using technology to, to work with them um, at a distance. But um, when I did finally get to meet Sang in person, it was here in, <clears throat> excuse me, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I live. And he was here at a um, an event for veterans at uh being hosted by Harvard and I met him for the first time. Um, and yeah, that was, that was incredibly rewarding to actually put the face to the name and understand, you know, I had seen his whole application. I'd seen him go through the process. I had seen our completely awesome undergraduate team working with him. And, you know, he had multiple people working with him and making sure that he was on track and really putting his best foot forward. Um, and, uh, I'll have to promise saying that we won't trot him out for the rest of his life as, you know, one of our great success stories, but we're incredibly proud of him. And uh, um, as I say, it's, it's really a testament to our 
undergrad team um, that they're able to help someone move the needle that much. You mentioned that, of course, you're all volunteer run at this point, uh, and that may pose some challenges to you and just in terms of, of scaling your, your operations. Uh, what's the next level of, of growth that you envision for service to, to school? Yeah, um, it's very prosaic. We have to go out and raise money. We have to go out and raise money uh, so that, you know, step number one is going to be we need to hire a full-time executive director um, to handle the operations side of things. Uh, that includes, you know, keeping up the website, handling all of the intake forms, when we have ambassadors volunteering, when we have applicants coming to us, making those matches actually takes, it's not something we're just going to delegate to an algorithm. Um, we actually do try to match people up based on their service experience and what kind of schools they're interested in. Um, that actually takes a lot of work. Um, increasingly, we're doing uh, media and PR, which is a nice problem to have, um, obviously, but um, you know, there's be wonderful to have someone help coordinate those kinds of things. Um, we we need money to go to events. I mean, right now we've been paying everything out of our own pockets when we fly to this conference or that conference or head out to a school to talk to admissions officers, um, whatever the case may be. It's all self-financed at this point. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be knocking on some doors and, and hitting some people up. Um, it's, I don't think, anyone's favorite thing to do, uh, but we believe enough in the organization that if, if we're going to help more pe more than 100 people a year, we have to. There's really no other way. Anna Ivey is a co-founder of Service to School. Thanks for listening to Starting Good. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website at startinggood.org. I'm Alex Gramling.